Welcome to the film show. I'm S.W. Conser, and I'm joined right now by the celebrated director behind such independent films as Drugstore Cowboy, My Own Private Idaho, To Die For, and Milk. His latest feature film is a portrait of the iconoclastic cartoonist John Callahan, starring Joaquin Phoenix. It's called Don't Worry, You Won't Get Far on Foot. Uh, Gus Van Zandt, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Well, tell us about... Don't worry, he won't get far on foot. This uh, may be your most upbeat film since Goodwill Hunting. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. That's good. Good to hear. Um, I um, I'm always trying to remake Goodwill Hunting. So John Callahan, uh, he is a Portland legend, quadriplegic, cartoonist, the kind of guy that would absolutely annoy everybody with his humor. Uh, P.J. O'Rourke once wrote, when you laugh out loud and then say, that's not funny, you know you've read John Callahan. Exactly, yeah. Your original plan was to collaborate on this film with Robin Williams. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, it was, I mean, I knew John from um, pretty much like seeing him cruise around really fast in his wheelchair on 21st, going to coffee time, um, where I heard you recorded him. Um, rumor has it and um, I knew him from his cartoons that I would see in the Willamette Week I I think I missed the Portland State years I was somewhere else but um, he was a personality in Portland but it, I, I, heard, I think I'd heard that he had written a book but I had never seen it um, until after we had made Goodwill Hunting Robin Williams had optioned or bought the had Sony Pictures buy the book from from John Callahan, and um, invited me to be part of making it and directing it. So um, I was involved in in writing a few screenplays. One was with two Portlanders named uh, Andrew Eatman and Jack Gibson, young writers. Our first go around, we wrote a few drafts. For Robin, and the you know we would mail them down to um, Los Angeles. I don't think that we had email at the time, but um, mail them physically down there, and then we would just sort of hear silence. <laughs> so either the screenplays weren't any good, which is possible, or um, it was it was always a contentious, you know, combination of cartoons that were potentially dangerous, you know, just by their subject and by their um artistry they were they had a danger to them there was that part i think was scary the um uh journey into his alcoholism and back out again was like questionable i think robin was excited about both of those things his being a quadriplegic was perhaps you know difficult for the studio people to like kind of grasp how that would affect their idea of Robin Williams. So it sort of went behind a curtain. We never knew what people were talking about, but we didn't really hear anything until um, many years passed and uh, were invited again to like revisit the script, you know, like maybe do a new draft. So I wrote with another writer named Patty Sullivan. And during this period, John K. 
Callahan was part of it. You know, we would go over to his house or we would go out someplace with him. He liked to go out in a, a van. He could fit into a van and we would drive to, say, Soviet Island or someplace like that. He was sort of actively involved. So the second go-around, um, again, you know, we mailed it down to L.A. and it just went into, like, oblivion. And I never really questioned. I was always assuming that it's just too difficult. Robin, you know, like, depending on his success rate at that period of time, uh, the different times that we were coming up with screenplays, sometimes it seemed like he had to, like, go make a hit, you know, because um, his Q rating was going down or whatever. Um, so um, it just, he never got around to it until... Uh, John was very excited and like on the edge of his seat always because I guess if Robin Williams was going to play you in a biopic about you, you'd be very excited. And he eventually got tired and he said, we're all going to be dead by the time this film's made. Yeah, it was a 20-year process. Yeah. And um, I have to say, uh, having known John Callahan myself, I was amazed by how well Joaquin Phoenix just captured his personality, his quirky, irascible quality. Oh, great. That's great to hear. Um, we It was sort of a question of like whether to imitate John vocally because he had a very um, interesting voice. It, was, it could be very high and soft and then it could, it also had a very, it could carry, you know, he could, he could um, project as well. So it was, he was a great raconteur. There's some things that I feel we, we kind of didn't get that I, I always think of when, you know, I talk about the film, like that the raconteur aspect is not really part of the movie, um, but he was. I mean, he was really a great storyteller and fascinating, and, you know, thus we have the book, I guess. But um, I, I took video of him during the second go-round with the screenplay and have hours of him telling stories of different places he lived and different situations, which were always incredible, sometimes dangerous, sometimes, like... Um, you know, he was um, always, you know, living kind of on the edge. I think partly his his containment into his wheelchair. He he liked to go very fast, and he didn't seem to like care, like at what point he crossed the road. And you know, um, we did get that part in the, in the film. Oh yeah, there's a great part where he uh, takes a spill in the street. Um, John was also he was also a singer and uh, a songwriter put out a couple of CDs. And um, it's fun because his singing voice was so sweet, but his lyrics were really searing like his cartoons. Right, yeah. Yeah, a little, he was working on that, I think, by the end of his career. He was really putting all of his energy into his music. And I, I understand that he was going to um, like recording studios and like perfecting the... the, the one of the... Um, versions one of his finished cds is quite glossy it's quite the purple wine was in the yeah, rain the finished well one of the finished versions i have some earlier versions that are like demos i guess but then there's some a finished one that's quite amazing and uh, you brought on danny elfman you brought danny elfman on board to compose the score for this film and uh you know it it, it actually kind of works very well very similar to uh john's sweet sort of folky lyrics i was I was. Uh, I think people might be surprised by how restrained uh, Danny Elfman's music is this time around. Yeah, it's quite unrestrained. I always thought, um, yeah, Danny. I don't think Danny knew 
knew his cartoons that well, but he was um, a redhead. So, like, the fraternity of redheads, I thought, was existed between Danny and John. Yeah, I, was, I, I saw an interview with you and Danny, and I was kind of like, wow, Danny's almost looking like Callahan in this know, interview. It's kind of funny. That's true. Same shade of that's red. True. Yeah. yeah. Um, some audiences might be surprised by the frank treatment of sexuality in uh, Don't Worry, He Won't Get Far on Foot. Um, like, oh, look, quadriplegic people think about sex? Yeah, I mean, that's those sequences are, um, <clears throat> you know, he covered in his book quite well. And he, uh, there were a lot of cartoons about quadriplegic sex, fears that he had or um, hopes that he had. Um, I think he was also quite a ladies' man. Like, he was sort of on the make a lot. And um, he wrote all this, you know, like the things that, that we were filming. But um, it was it was like part of the question is like what, you know, what happens sexually when somebody is confined to for their whole life to a wheelchair. But um, there is there is a sex life. Um, there's a sort of mythology surrounding the whole idea of old Portland the late 20th century version of Portland before it was discovered by New York Times foodies and Silicon Valley real estate developers. And there are a number of your films, Drugstore Cowboy is a standout, that people look to as documents of that time and place. Um, in uh, Don't Worry, He Won't Get Far on Foot, you've gone to some lengths to recreate old Portland. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, I mean, everything that's in the film is not in Oregon. It's in in Los Angeles. So we were shooting in Pomona a lot for downtown <clears throat> Northwest. Um, if you call it downtown. Um, yeah, there, which was quite easy, actually. Pomona was maybe easier to shoot for 21st Avenue than perhaps the real 21st Avenue. Um, it's still kind of forgotten and, um, as as it was during the period we were covering, we I, we'd only go as far as 1985 in our story. It's kind of as um, as modern as we get. But um, <clears throat> yeah, a lot of the films, like, I think Malanoche, which was shot in '84, is a really good um, captures Sixth Avenue in Old Town quite well. Right. Um... Yeah, you were part of a of a film collective of sorts back in the late 70s, early 80s Portland. Uh, all these folks went on to become important artists, Penny Allen, Hank Pander, and now uh, legendary cinematographer Eric Edwards. This was about the time that you were introduced to a Walt Curtis, and that may have been on the on the set of uh, of Property. Property. Yeah. Yeah, um, Penny's film Property um <clears throat> was was an amazing moment in in Portland cinema history, 1977. The cast of characters was amazing. Walt Curtis. The Peckerneck um, Poet. The Peckerneck Poet. Um, uh, Hank was the, Hank Pander was the um, art director of it. I think you were running sound. I was the sound man, yeah. I was Eric's, um, <clears throat> Eric and I had gone to high school together and made our first sound movie as a senior project in 1971 and we had both gone to Rhode Island School of Design as cinema majors so we we had done a lot of work together on our student films and um, <clears throat> this was sort of a period of time where both of us were kind of like branching out Eric had already shot the Eagle Pinnell film Last Night at the Alamo 
which is kind of an amazing film. And um, or no, he was just about to shoot that. That's right, he hadn't shot it in 1977. But um, he's I sort of acted as as his um, co like um, filmmaking person, and then Soundman as well. Well, um, Walt Curtis starred in two of Penny Allen's feature films, and he had just, at that time, written a semi-autobiographical chapbook, Mala Noche. Right, which, which uh, Penny gave me, Penny Allen gave me, saying, this is Walt's book. It had a Hank Pander cover in, in pen and ink of uh, the old hotel that the, um, the two um, Mexican boys had lived in that he sort of be- became obsessed by. Uh, as he worked in a grocery store, which later became Fellini's Satyricon, or called Fellini's. It was the restaurant part of Satyricon, um, but that was a, <clears throat> a deli at the time. It was owned by George Tuhuliotis's brother, Dimitri, and Walt worked in there. So the book, uh, she said, here's, here's Walt's book, this is who he is, you know, just as an introduction. And I remember being like sort of keeping it hidden in my room. I didn't know. It was so sort of scathing that um, it was almost like uh, pornography or something. But um, it was an amazing, amazing book. And um, later became interested in, in, in making it into a film. And you, you self-funded this. You did some advertising work and self-funded this <clears throat> film. Yeah, I saved up money working in New York in an ad agency slowly saving up whatever I could and, and, you know, sort of indenturing myself to the project and um, uh, came back to Portland able to make it. Yeah, this was back in, I guess, 85. And, um, yeah, Malanoche became a a festival hit, black and white, very gritty, uh, rainy, old Portland look to it. And... Back in the late 80s and early 90s, in the wake of the AIDS crisis, we saw a new militarism from groups like ACT UP and Queer Nation. And some of this was reflected in what uh, critics called the new queer cinema movement. Um, We started seeing breakout work from Todd Haynes, Derek Jarman, Pedro Almodovar, and yourself, um, Malanoche, and then My Own Private Idaho. Right. I think I was was sort of a... um in the generation of, of Derek Jarman and uh, and Pedro Almodovar, but I think the new queer cinema was, to me, always um, like about five years later with Greg Araki, Todd Haynes, and um, Tom Kalin, and um, I'm trying to remember all the others. Um, Christine Vachon was producing a lot of them, um, but it was a little bit later. Like, <clears throat> it sort of reached a a point when I when I had made Malanoche, um, I was trying to get it into Sundance, and I think Sundance had already been um, already had two gay films. One was Parting Glances, and the other was I think Desert Hearts, and they were they were glossier, more expensive productions. And um, Steve Buscemi was one of the stars of Parting Glances, so we got sort of left behind. But later, five years later, I think all the gay and queer uh, films got in. So it was sort of a breakthrough period of time. You're listening to The Film Show. I'm S.W. Conser, And our guest today is filmmaker Gus Van Sant, the celebrated director behind Drugstore Cowboy, Elephant, and My Own Private Idaho. His latest film, 
Don't Worry He Won't Get Far on Foot is a tribute to radical cartoonist John Callahan. Um, well, your career has included advertising campaigns, television episodes, photography, and music videos. Uh, one of my personal favorite videos is of William S. Burroughs reciting his Thanksgiving prayer poem. Uh, I'm, I'm yeah. still trying to find out what the music was to that. It's a um, a found piece. I think it's the, the NBC Orchestra playing... Um, I don't know if there's a name to it. It's a, it's a sort of patriotic piece that Hal Wilner, who was, um, among other things, he was, um, and still is, Saturday Night Live's uh, music, one of their music directors, um, and had been, you know, for, for decades. Um, he and Burroughs made a record together. So there was, there was a, a, a bunch of different sort of spoken word pieces with music, and that Thanksgiving prayer was one of the main ones. So um, I was elected to make a, a video where, wherein we basically um, went to Lawrence, Kansas, where William Burroughs was living, and, uh, and had him do a live reading of it. So the, um, the, the reading in the record is a little different because it's, um, it was the recording, and uh, we sort of re-recorded it. So he's, he's an amazing reader. So um, <clears throat> it had a lot of also found images from uh, from old old pieces in the Oregon Historical Society archives. You were being a bit of a bricklayer there then. Yes. Uh, well, William S. Burroughs, he, like you said, um, the voice of William S. Burroughs is bone shaking. Yes. Uh, and he he stole the show in Drugstore Cowboy as a <laughs> defrocked junkie priest. Yeah, that was. Um, that was a, an amazing time. He, in in Drugstore Cowboy, the the storyline had um, our lead character Bob Hughes um, eventually sort of leaves his his drug crew, and he he checks into a hotel, which was the St. Francis Hotel in downtown. I think it was on Twelfth Street, and um, he runs into in the original script he ran into Old Tom. He was called, and he was an old junkie that that Bob Hughes remembered when he was a, an altar boy. No, that's not true. He remembered him from the old days, just the general old days around town. And and Tom was a legendary thief, and was an inspiration to Bob Hughes. So we thought, um, since he was an old drug addict, and he had sort of, you know, he was on on the methadone uh, at the time in the story that we thought perhaps Burroughs would be like the perfect person to act in it. Um, and, and Burroughs, his reaction was, you know, Tom didn't really have much going on and he didn't want to be like an old forgotten old guy. He wanted to have something happen. And so he, he turned him into a priest. He changed Tom and he, and he wrote all of Tom's dialogue, rewrote it with his assistant, James Gorehalls. So a lot of the things that he's, all the things that he's saying are, are pretty much Burroughs-isms, you know, Burroughs philosophies. Yeah, well, um, a lot of your work, um, Drugstore Cowboy and My Own Private Idaho, had a definite aura of improvisation about it. And both had um, 
well, real people. There were callbacks, of course, to the Shakespearean character of Falstaff in my own private Idaho. But yeah, for, for those in the know, there are references to Portland political and cultural figures in both films. Yeah, it's a mixture of, of, in that case, in the Shakespearean parts of Idaho, it's, it's part Shakespeare, it's part Orson Welles, it's part um, myself, like riffing on things, and then also part of like the actors just ditching lines and making things up. Yeah, you have a reputation for not being a predictable filmmaker. This is probably a good thing. Uh, you don't hear people saying, oh, clearly this is a Gus Van Sant movie. You know, how does a person compare Goodwill Hunting to Last Days to Even Cowgirls Get the Blues? One of the themes I do see running through your work, uh, feel free to tell me if I'm wrong, is the theme of concealment. Characters trying to keep things hidden, maybe even from themselves. But, mm. you know, whatever's there it's going to eventually be dragged into the light of day, probably mm. slowly and painfully. I never thought of that. I, just, I should apply that to the, the films. It's, it's usually about um, somebody finding a group of people that become their, their um, ad hoc family. I mean, usually in all the films I've done, there is an element of a temporary family, like existing and how that... Uh, but I don't know about the concealment. I've never, yeah. never never, thought of that. But, I mean, it sounds like my life. But. <laughs> and how that plays out for good or ill, you know, how families can betray you, you know, chosen or yeah. real. Um, another theme that I see is the space to let a scene play out. You're a big believer in creating meditative scenes. Great. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to say. Well, I, and I've heard you say that, like, if a character is driving a car, it's not, you know, you don't think of it as just going from one scene to another. It's an opportunity it's to... It's an experience. Yeah, it's an opportunity to, to see a character driving a car. Yeah, I mean, I've always, like, thought that certain types of artistic images or um, film Im images, like, or story elements and images were were my favorite when they represented archetypes, you know, when they, when they sort of dialed back into every man doing something, you know, whether it was, if it's driving a car, it's not just your character driving a car, but it's like all characters in all times have driving a car, like a kind of uh, atomic chain reaction of, of man driving car. One of the things that made me think about concealment was the scene early in Don't Worry, He Won't Get Far on Foot, where the John Callahan character is uh, ducking behind a car to, uh, to drink the, just at, straight out of this pint bottle from the liquor store. And it's, you know, the, the, the camera is on the car. You don't see mm -hmm. Joaquin Phoenix behind the car. Yeah, he um, was hiding. I think that in the screenplay it was written that he kind of like ducked behind the corner or, or something there was a car there so Joaquin was just doing what he would naturally do if he wanted to you know conceal a sneak a drink from a bottle in the, his back pocket so he was sort of riffing on that. What was it like working with Joaquin Phoenix was he as improvisational as some of your other actors that you've worked with in uh, in in some of the more low budget movies? Yeah, he loved, I think he loves sort of surprises. 
Um, it was hard to, I think, improv in the in the vein of John Callahan, because John was so specific that you kind of needed the script for for the John moments. But yeah, I mean, Joaquin's like fantastic at being right in in the character's head and in the moment at all times. So when you know when uh, something happens, he's reacting to to it in character. You know, he never really breaks the character during the take. After the take, he he would, and he's a he's very um, concerned, like whether you know you sort of got what you wanted. You know, he's a perfectionist, so wants to like kind of do it as many times as as he can. I usually want to just do it one time to um, move on, but um, he's he's uh, kind of a perfectionist. Do you have any telling stories from the set working with uh, any of the crew or cast? Um. Yeah, I guess I guess the most interesting thing that happened, like for me on the whole shoot, was rehearsing with Joaquin and and Jonah Hill, playing their characters, which ended up to be these kind of amazing creations. And yet, in the um, the run through, in our little um, rehearsals, which we had a couple of them, between the two of them, they would just read the dialogue as it's written like word by word without emoting and I was trying at the time to push them into getting like some emotion into it I would say let's do it again and they would do it again and they would again just read the words that, on the page like about like this and they'd look up at me and I go good okay this time let's try to go off the you know I try to get them to do something and they just wouldn't and I didn't really know what to do I thought these guys are professionals. They know where we're going, and they're very good at what they do, so I could, you know, I don't really need them to be doing anything here at this moment if they're comfortable. I guess they weren't in their characters yet, and I was, it was hard for me to sort of ask what was going on, so I never did, and um, then, you know, all the fireworks were just on the set. It wasn't in the rehearsal. Well, before I let you go, I do have uh, one question that's sort of been nagging at me. Um, so, Don't Worry He Won't Get Far on Foot has been 20 years in the making. Should audiences also be patient for the electric Kool-Aid acid test? I know that you've worked on some screenplays with uh, Dustin Lance Black. Yeah, I've worked <clears throat> on a few incarnations. One was with Kesey himself working on uh, The Further Inquiry um, as an idea for the, you know, the bus movie. Um, have looked at tons of bus footage, have... This is further the bus that's now in the Smithsonian. Oh, it's not in the Smithsonian. It's on his farm in Eugene. It's on the farm, I think. Yeah, and, and then Lance, Dustin Lance Black, wrote a screenplay from the book by Tom Wolfe. And um, there were just lots of of attempts that, like, in each case was very um, elusive, something that was very elusive about it. And I, I don't think that it has to be that way, but um, I I never cracked the code that I thought I was supposed to be cracking. So maybe maybe someday. Well, we'll be patient. Um, what's next for you? Um, I'm not sure. I'm just uh, uh, working, promoting this right now. And uh, how can listeners find out more about your work? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure. There's no website or anything, so... 
just have to wait and see what happens. All right. Well, Gus Van Zandt, thanks so much for joining us today. It's been a real pleasure. Yeah, thank you very much. You've been listening to The Film Show on KBU. I'm S.W. Conser. And our guest today has been filmmaker Gus Van Sant, the celebrated director behind Drugstore Cowboy, Elephant, and My Own Private Idaho. His latest film, Don't Worry, He Won't Get Far on Foot, is a tribute to radical cartoonist John Callahan. Thanks to all our listeners on the radio dial and on the web, and thanks also to the Oregon Media Production Association for their support and collaboration. The audio for this show, as well as our extended interviews, will be available later today on our archive page, kboo.fm slash thefilmshow. And you can keep up with us on Twitter, at kboofilmshow. Now stay tuned for an afternoon of music on your homegrown Portland radio station.